Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to a special guest. She is my sister-in-law, and her name is Tiffany Jarrett. Hey, Tiffany, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Carly. I'm so excited. Thank you for letting me share my, <laughs> my junk in my trunk. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. We're probably just going to yeah. be like two sisters just chatting <laughs> and everybody else can come along for the ride. <laughs> yes, for sure. So let me tell them a little bit about you. Tiffany Jarrett grew up in Orem, Utah as an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her dad is a convert and her mom has seven kids in her family and is one of only three active members. She feels super lucky that they were able to stay active and give her that in her life. Tiffany did not attend college, but she did put two husbands through college, so that should count for something, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. She's currently married to a ma an amazing man, who is also my brother, and <laughs> whom she plans to keep forever. They have three miracle children that are their world, and two golden doodles that are part of the family too. Tiffany gets to stay at home with her kids, which is such a dream come true. She also does lots of designing, staging, and woodworking on the side. That stuff is her saving grace. Tiffany just built a new home in Mapleton, and they are loving their new area and home. So welcome again, Tiff. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit before, but this is so interesting because I felt very prompted to have you come and share this part of your story. You have a lot of things, I think, as everybody does in your life that we could have talked mm -hmm. about, but I really have been wanting to talk to somebody who has been through a divorce in their life. And for whatever reason, you kept coming to my mind. And if I'm being honest, it's, it's something that you and I really haven't talked a lot about because my brother is your second husband. And so once you met him and got married to him, I think we just kind of focused on that and you moving forward that we really haven't um, ever sat down and talked about the details of your first marriage. So I'm so grateful for you and for Nick for being willing to um, be open and vulnerable about this part of your life. Um, because I think a lot of people are going to be re relating to it and honestly be helped by the things that you've learned through this part of your life. So thank you so much for being here and sharing it with us. You, you're welcome. I hope, I hope it, it does what it's supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at first, let's just kind of get to know you a little bit better. So you said that you grew up in Orem, Utah. How many siblings do you have? So there are four kids in my family. I am the oldest. And then I've got, we're all about three years apart. Clear down. To, so I've got my little sister or my little brother, Brady, that's right behind me. And then my sister, Brittany, and then my baby brother, Cody. 
perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me about life growing up. What kinds of things did you guys like to do in your family? Oh my gosh. So my one of my favorite memories from growing up is my dad used to manage the Sierra pool in Orem for I mean like 20 plus years. And it felt it literally felt like we had a pool at our house. We were there every single summer we were there on nights and weekends and any time we all worked there i mean we were volunteers at the candy counter and then we were the little desk i was the little person that checked people in at the you know as you would come in i was a lifeguard sometimes swimming lessons and oh my gosh it was just like oh man my when they ripped that down in orem it like ripped a piece of my heart out so I, that was my favorite we just did a lot of fun things i remember going sledding a ton my dad was a police officer and a school teacher so it's not like we had a ton of you know money rolling around he worked really weird hours especially with the police officer stuff we spent a lot of good time as a family i had i had an awesome awesome upbringing it was good i love it and now talk to me a little bit about your first husband. How did you guys meet and kind of when did you start dating? Yeah, so we started dating. Let's see, I met him when I was a sophomore, one of my really good friends. So he is from Brigham City, which is clear up north. And but his brother lived in Orem near Mountain View where I went to high school and stuff. And his brother had a concrete company that my ex-husband would come in, come down to Orem and work at this concrete company for him. Um, he was, when he would come down, he would hang out with um, one of the guys that I was really good friends with. And so I, I met him as a sophomore and I totally, I totally ghosted him. I ditched him. I like, he was so nice. And I was just like, uh, I don't, I always liked the guys that were, I don't know, not good, not good for me. Yeah. But anyway, so he just was like such a gentleman and so sweet and so nice that I, I avoided him for as long as possible. <laughs> and my junior year, I stopped being a brat and I, I went on a date with him and we just kind of slowly started hanging out. Like I said, he was still, you know, up in Bear River and he would kind of just come down as often as possible. So when he graduated, he's, I think, a year older than me. When he graduated, he moved down to Orem to uh, work full-time for his brother. And he actually played football. Football was a huge part of his life. And he was an option quarterback up in Bear River. And uh, the Air Force Academy had offered him a scholarship to go and quarterback there. So, yeah, so he was just coming to Orem for, you know, like a year or so to work and earn money. And then he was planning to be off to Colorado to the Air Force and and be a quarterback. (laughs) So, yeah. So you started dating and. So, yeah, we started dating and um, it got to the point where we both were like, we are going to be really like, I, I didn't want him to leave to go to college. And he was kind of getting to the point where he didn't want to leave either, which was pretty huge because he was such, such a, he was so good at football and such a fanatic. And that had been kind of one of his dreams. And so, but anyway, so I, but I was only, I mean, I'm 18, I'm 18 years old and I am just (laughs) head over heels in love with this boy. And (laughs) in, in earlier years, he had blown up, I think, a mailbox, a brick mailbox with his friends. Yes. And it happened to be that this was like a federal judge. So him and his friends got in big trouble, big trouble. And the Air Force actually found that on his record 
and oh, no. called him and told him that he was going to have to go to, I think, a prep. Yeah, it was a prep academy uh, for a full year before they would allow him into the real college. And so it just, it kind of messed with his eligibility. And anyways, he was so bummed about it. And I think that that just kind of gave him the extra push to be like, well, never mind. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to marry Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so that is what happened. I graduated in, so May of 99 and me and Brian were married July 30th of 99. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we wasted we wasted no time and heaven forbid and he it was cool he had gone and talked to the coaches at BYU um because they had you know shown some interest in his football before he accepted and committed to the Air Force and they didn't have any scholarships left but they were super excited for him to come and walk on the team so yeah so he just so basically he we got him enrolled in BYU and he walked on to the football team there which was wow super fun yeah that's amazing so yeah so that is how we started out our little marriage (laughs) we didn't Brian wasn't very active at the time and I I wasn't I probably I wouldn't say that I was super active in the church at that time of my life either. So we didn't get married in the temple. We got married civilly and um, just had planned. We, we were sealed two years later in the St. George Temple, but okay. that's kind of, you know, we didn't start off that way. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So now you're married, mm-hmm. little baby, so young. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's so young. playing football. Yes. So you guys kind of probably moved out on your own. Yeah. Um, he's playing football. What did you do at that time? So he, we actually had bought a condo right when we got married, which was really fun. And he was playing football and I was actually working. I worked for a couple of banks as bank tellers. And then I, I was, I'm not, I'm so bad at math. And I just, I felt like the math (laughs) angle, I was all, my till was always off. I just was like, I was sucking at it so bad. So I finally just went back to Partyland, which was where I had kind of worked through high school. And it was like, I got to do all their displays. I really got to get my artistic abilities out. And I loved that. So that is, that is what I, I went to for a little while. And we, you know, until I started it wasn't a ton of money and we obviously needed to to have some money to pay our mortgage and all that. And Brian was doing concrete on the side as well. He was okay. working for his brother. So we did have that income, which was pretty, which was pretty good. Yeah. But he, uh, his back was getting really bad. Oh, so, shoot. yeah. So it was like, it was hard because we didn't, you know, he didn't want to leave the concrete. It was his brother and so that's kind of when I set out to get a different job and I ended up getting a secretary job at a mortgage company. And so that, that helped a ton. Um, and he just was able to move to some more manage, I don't know, manager type stuff at the concrete and not so much of the hard labor Yeah. at first, but, um, it definitely didn't, it didn't totally fix it. He at practice one day, um, hurt his back really bad. And the doctor, the team doctor recommended that he have cert that he needed to have surgery on it. Yeah. 
So it was sad because I, mean, I just remember him coming like we had three flights of stairs to get up to our condo and he would literally come like crawling in and just kind of lay on the tile floor right in front of the door. And it just, it was bad. He was in, he was in a lot of pain and that was sad. That's too bad. And yeah. he's young. Was this your was first year? Super married? young. No. So this okay. was probably, this was probably going into our second year. Yeah. This is probably our going into our second year of marriage is when okay. that all happened. But, um, during that second year, um, before all this back stuff happened, I, I actually had found in, I'm like a super clean, organize everything. And I, when I deep clean, I deep clean. And I had found in his office, um, a bat, like a prescription bag full of syringes and like a little vial of something. And it like, it literally freaked me out to the point where I was like, I didn't even know what to think. So I confronted him about it and found out that it, it was steroids. Wow. So that I think is kind of where this all started. Yeah. <laughs> is that. Did he tell you how long that he had been doing those? So he had been doing those. It had been almost that entire first year. Like, I think, I think when he got to BYU and started playing football and at his school, he was like this, and he was the star. He had records that were still, he was the big dog. And when he got to BYU, it was all of a sudden, like there were people that were, I mean, he just, he was amazed by the talent that was around him. And I think that that was super hard for him. And, you know, he was just a walk on, he wasn't on scholarship. So I think mentally uh, that was hard, so hard. So I think he was just trying to fit in, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. So I remember people would always say, man, Brian, what are they feeding you at the Y? Like he was, but because I lived with him, I didn't, I guess I didn't really notice how big he was bulking up and he just had always been muscular and that's just, I don't know, that was just his body type. I didn't, I don't know. I was oblivious, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So once you found that and you talked to him, what did he say? Yeah, he took me, he tried to prove why these were good and why it was going to help him. And I don't know. I, I just, I, I mean, I told him, I said, that's your, you know, if anybody finds out you will, you'll get kicked off the team. You'll get kicked out of school. Like that's, it, it's not a good idea. I said, these yeah. can cause like fertility problems. You know, I, my mind has always been a hundred percent. I want a baby. I want a baby. I want a baby you know and so that's kind of where that was and I was like I don't want you to ruin your chances of having kids and you know all that kind of stuff so so I think he ended up I don't know when exactly he stopped he told me he stopped but I I learned quickly after that what he said and what he did were two very different things so yeah so but then he started getting I started noticing as his back started getting you know, hurt more and it was more uncomfortable. Then there were times where he was coming home and I could, I could smell alcohol like he had been drinking. And, oh, still today, like, oh, the smell of alcohol just makes me, it just get, oh, puts me in a bad place. So that was, that was just so hard. I just had never envisioned I, yeah, I, I just felt like he had so much going for him. He's so smart. It, I was just really terrified at 
where all of these different things were going to take him. So yeah, that was, that was scary. I was very scared. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So he hurt his back. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that had anything to do with the steroids or this is kind of just a separate thing with the football and the, you know, what? he had, he had been doing concrete from such a young age with his brother. Uh, and he has a history of bad backs in his family. So I do, okay. I, I think, I don't think that it was, I, I don't know, the steroids could have definitely made it worse, but I mean, he had also been playing, you know, hard impact football and True. all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think that that was the reasoning, but it probably didn't help any. So he, did he end up having a surgery? So, yep. BYU paid for him to have the surgery and uh, <laughs> all, all heck broke loose after that. That was when stuff started going really, really, really bad. And um, it moved from, well, it stayed with alcohol um, and then moved to prescription pain pills. And then from pain pills, I mean, there was, I feel like once you get in one addiction, they just kind of all come. There was pornography problems. There was, um, the thing he ended up ultimately struggling with the most is meth. Wow. Yeah. What would you say the timeline was? So did he, after he had his surgery, was he able to go back playing football at all? Or that's kind of when his football career ended and he started kind of using all of these things to numb that. Yes. That's kind of when his football career ended. He did go back and he did try to play a little bit. And um, he obviously, the, the surgery had affected it and it was, it was not as easy for him to get back in. And there were all these other guys that were healthy and were not having the back problems. And I think it totally tore his spirits down. And, yeah. and that's when the numbing started just hitting even harder. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what kinds of things started going through your mind as you're, as you're watching him and like you said, understanding that obviously he's having a difficult time and you're trying to be compassionate. But then on the other hand, you're realizing that, that this person that you married is very different from, from what you imagined your life was going to be like. Yeah. I mean, he became, it, it came to the point where he was missing classes all the time. He was having really erratic behaviors, like spending money on really crazy things that it's like, you know, we're living off of student loans and my job, we didn't, anyway, just crazy, crazy money's purchases. Just, I felt like I, it was, he was trying to find happiness any way that he possibly could or numb out any way that he could. Yeah. What was going on in your mind as he's dealing with those types of things? I was just trying to do everything. We ended up having to, because, you know, we, I could tell that money was tight. We ended up renting our condo out and we moved in with my parents and having him just sleep all day and not go to school. And I just was wondering, I didn't know what was wrong at that point. It was still early enough that I knew I didn't know about any of these problems other than I knew, you know, obviously the alcohol and stuff, but I didn't necessarily, I didn't, my mind didn't even let me go to the point that I thought he had an addiction or anything crazy was going on. And it was, it just was sad. I was so frustrated. I was like, what happened to this motivated, sweet guy? Like he just, he didn't, 
he just was always zoned out. It just never felt like he was actually present or he would sleep all day and then be up out in the shop work. He would start all these crazy projects and not finish any of them. And I just, I was like, what is like, what is happening? Like, this is the weirdest, like, what is going on? What is happening? And that question was finally answered when we were, and he was still working for his brother. Um, and there was a lot of guys there that, um, were not uh, the best influences at all. And so that's who he, that's where he was getting drugs and stuff from. And I, we were in driving and driving in the car and Brian said he had to take something, a, a concrete tool to one of the workers which happened frequently. And so I would go with him and I, I didn't, I mean, I honestly just thought we were taking tools. I didn't know what was going on. And on the way back from this house, a cop pulled us over and I was like, well, that's, that's weird. So anyways, he, he made Brian get out of the car and I was sitting there and I was like, what is happening? Like what? And he was like searching him. And so I got out of my door, which is, not smart, but I did. And I was like, what is happening? And the cop just, he, he told Brian to sit down on the hood and he had his hands like handcuffed behind his back. And he came over to me and he, he brought a a little baggie and he said, do you, do you know what these are? And I said, they look like pills. I, I don't know. And he said, this is your husband has methamphetamine on him. And at that point, I didn't even know. I was like, methamphetamine, like what? And he said, crystal meth. And then I was like, wait, what? And I just, I'm sure, I'm sure everything, I just felt like I was going to collapse. I was like, like, what is happening? I didn't, I felt like it was, I was just totally in a dream. And the cop told me, to he said are you close to home and I said yeah we were in my parents neighborhood and he said he said well he's not coming home with you he said you get in your car and you go home he's he's going to jail he's got a lot of he was in this was right across the the drug person's house is right across the street from the school that my dad worked at from a junior high so I got in my car and I drove home and I I I just, I went downstairs and I just kind of collapsed and I called my mom and I, I I didn't even, it it was, it was so surreal. I still can't even believe to this day that, that that happened. Yeah. So that's when I knew that there was, okay, this may, I was like, okay, this is why, this is why he's been so, this is why things have been falling apart and why he's been acting so bizarre. Like, that makes sense. Did it kind of, I remember back a long time ago being a newlywed <laughs> and um, you're worrying about, you know, your marriage and anything that went wrong, you kind of took it personally. Oh, I'm not a good mm-hmm. wife. I'm not any of those mm-hmm. things. I can imagine that a lot of those types yes. of things, the, the couple years um, prior that all of those things were going in your mind. Why, you know, why isn't this working? I, I can imagine that some of those feelings kind of, you started feeling down on yourself. Did that kind of give you a little bit of a relief knowing, okay, maybe it's not just me or no? 
Honestly, no, it just made me feel like it actually made me feel worse. It made me feel like, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad wife that he's now having to turn to drugs because he's not happy with me, you know, with me. And so it actually made that part of it, it made that part of it a little bit harder right then. That is, not only was that a collapse for him, that's about the time that I pretty much fell apart as well. I can understand. So I can't imagine. Yeah. So he went to jail. <laughs> yep. And then he, did. <laughs> he went to jail and me and my dad actually went and bailed him out uh, the next day. And I just thought, I, t- I thought, okay, well, this is, this is it. Now that I know what your problem is, you're not going to have Tylenol. You're not going to have, I was just, I went into control mode. Like, Oh, I'm going to fix this for you. I'm just not going to give you any of that stuff. And, um, uh, clearly, obviously that, that was, that was, that did not work. That was, I had no idea the, I had no idea the, how strong an addiction was. I really had no understanding of how much that can completely grip you. And I learned over the next several years that that there was nothing, nothing that I could do that was was going to fix it. And the hardest thing is that I just I kept trying. I kept, it was almost like I was in this in this crazy cycle of doing these crazy things that weren't working, and I just kept trying them over and over and over again. And yeah. It was a crazy time. So how long would you say that was between when he got arrested and you found out really everything that was going on um, and when you decided that it was best for you guys to get a divorce? How long did kind of was that between? Do you remember? It was like six years. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. So I played, I, yeah, I, I mean, at that first little part was just, I just thought, okay, we are going to get this. We are, I'm, we are, you know, we said we're going to do this forever. I, I honestly, in my, I look back and I think I was determined to save his life is what I was determined to do for him, for him. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to make things, I wanted to take his pain away. I wanted to take his discomfort away. I wanted to save him. I wanted to, and in that, in doing that, I, there was a point where I only weighed about 84 pounds. My dad carried me and I just, I would wake up every morning feeling like I had the stomach flu and I just, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, I was, I was trying to carry everything on my own and I was trying to save somebody. I was putting him over myself. I was totally letting my health, my mental, everything just completely fall apart in what I thought was saving his life. And um, what I later learned is a perfect act of codependency. I was very, very, very codependent. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it's hard. You can't save somebody, but I definitely, I definitely wanted to. So talk to me about when you got to the point where you realized that it wasn't going to work out between you two. So what kind of started changing, because before then, like I said, I, when I got to the point where I was 84 pounds and my doctor told me that he was going to hospitalize me if I couldn't 
you know, get stuff together. I couldn't get myself, you know, feeling better. I somehow, and I don't even remember how, probably one of the times Brian was in and out of rehab a lot, in and out of jail a ton. And I think one of those times, somebody from maybe, I think maybe his rehab had told me about a program that existed in the church. And it was an addiction recovery program. And not only did they help addicts, but they had family support. And as far as I know, these meetings still happen today. They do. Yeah. I <laughs> literally, that saved my life. We used to, the best, one of the best books I have ever read, it's called He Did Deliver Me From Bondage. And it's by Colleen Harrison. And she was the one, it's basically using the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, but with the Book of Mormon. So okay. she correlates it. It was like, oh, it was, it was amazing. And that when I found those meetings, so I, every Sunday and every Wednesday, they would have the family support meetings and we would go to the Orem High Seminary. And they were seriously some of the most sacred meetings I had ever heard. It was sacred places that I've ever been. Um, I learned there that I mattered, that I need, that I remembered that, oh, wait a minute, Heavenly Father doesn't just want Brian to get better. He wants, he wants me too. He loves me. I'm worth it. I'm a daughter of God. I, I need to get stuff together. I need to, you know, to step up and, and save my, you know, be there for myself. And that is when my life totally changed. Not that Brian didn't continue. I, it, I mean, I could tell you some crazy, crazy, crazy stories of things that happened throughout that time. Um, but that's when I started getting my life back and when I started gaining the strength and the courage and the, um, I don't know, the, the ability, I guess, to just live and to, to live and live for myself and to try to help him in any way that I could, but to really understand that I could not, I couldn't do anything for him. I couldn't save him. Um, and that is, that, that was a huge turning point for me. I, I think in our, I probably, I went to hundreds of meetings, like hundreds, those, that and the temple, those meetings in the temple were probably two of the things that I, I mean, I, I was in the temple probably two or three times a week yeah. and it's literally how I felt like I could, how I could breathe. And so I got stronger and I got, I was doing good. And I, right near the end of this, right near the end of our marriage, I got called to be the Relief Society president in my BYU married ward that I was in with him. And that, that's another place that I gained my bishop, oh, Bishop Bartholomew. He, <laughs> he is still today like, like a second dad. I, I love him. He was, he was so good to me. And so instrumental in helping me get better and helping Brian and he's a, a good man but um oh my gosh my brain Carly I'm so sorry I'm like it's okay you're doing great I think that like you so said scattered um, <laughs> I think hard. that our when we go through hard things in our lives um I do this for sure <laughs> and I call it shoving <laughs> yeah and I um I just, when things are hard, 
for whatever reason, my brain is just like, Kate, hey, we're not going to deal with that. Yeah. And so we're just going to shove it down. And it's, it's really hard to kind of access those parts of us um, when we want to, <laughs> because our, your brain's Gosh. like, no, 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 stop going there. Stop. We don't want to feel this again. No. So I completely, I completely understand. So you got to this point where you were finally living for yourself. And I think that that's so, yes. so beautiful because I think quite honestly, it's, it is so noble of you. You stayed with Brian for a very, very long time through ups and downs. And, but you, like you said, you lost yourself in, in it. You lost yourself in trying to, to help him. And so now you've been to this part place where you were feeling fulfillment in your 12 step meetings um, support group. And then you were able to get a calling as a Relief Society president. Yes. So tell me a little bit about how that helped. That turning my focus to other people and being able to serve was completely life-changing. I just kept telling my bishop, I'm like, Bishop, are you sure? Like, I am a hot mess. I can't even like take care of myself and my husband. And you want me to try to take care of all these sisters? And he just kept telling me, yes, Tiff, I know you can, you can do it. I know you can. And I, one of my very best friends, Emily, that does our pictures. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's how I met her. She was oh. my, she was my secretary and she is still one of my most favorite best friends in the whole world. And I, I just met some really great people and I, I, I gained a lot of strength and I just was in such a good, I was in such a good place. Yes. And, um, Anyways, it, right the summer right before he let, kind of disappeared and I didn't know what had happened to him, he, um, he, there was lots of times during this where he said he was getting his life back to get, you know, lots of, I mean, we went through this so many times where, oh, I think things are going okay. And then it was like, boom, big slap in the face. And now he's in jail or he's, you know, it was like yeah. that all the time. It was such a roller coaster ride. And the summer before he left, so in 2007, he um, he finally wanted to try to get his temple recommend back. So he got his temple recommend back for the first time, and you know he had hadn't had it for years. And so I really had a lot of hope, and I thought, oh my gosh, okay, maybe things are really going to turn around. Like I feel great right now. He's doing. I thought he was doing good. And then right about September, um, I, he just started acting super strange again, very like distant. Um, well, I remember he bought an iPhone and those were so expensive and we did not have the money to buy an iPhone. And I was like, oh, great. Here we go. Like what's happening? And he was supposed to take me to, we had gotten tickets to Thriller and he was supposed to take me, and um, he he just didn't come home that wow. day. And I was like, it was he wouldn't answer phone calls, he wouldn't answer text messages. Um, I didn't, I had no, I had no idea where he was or what he was doing, but I just knew that it probably wasn't good. And I can't remember. I think it was a few days, and so I kind of. At that point, I, I got to the point 
where if I ever felt myself going back to those days where I couldn't breathe or I couldn't, you know, that anxiety, the panic, that all that kind of stuff, my best remedy, I would, because I, I didn't ever have a problem falling asleep at night. Um, I really dove into the scriptures and I dove into my He to Deliver Me from Bondage book and I loved reading those positive thoughts and that that helped but I my most memorable thing that I did one of the most memorable things that I did was that I every morning that I would wake up um it was hard he wasn't there I didn't know where he was um but this had happened on multiple times when he was in jail and my I would get in the bathtub in the hot bathtub and I would just because I always felt a little sick in the morning a little nauseous and I would just read the Book of Mormon until I felt better and could get out and um, get dressed and go forward. And he ended up not coming home for weeks. I, f I ended up figuring out where he was at. And I had been talking with my bishop and trying to figure out, you know, what to do and how to go about things. And um I remember just continuing to do my bathtub and Book of Mormon, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> I promise it's like the best combination of things ever. And I, um, I came across a scripture that uh, hit me harder than any other scripture I've ever read in my entire life. And I'm sure I, it was in a, an odd place in Second Nephi. And um, I, I, I'm just going to read it because it's, yeah. it's powerful to me. But I was in the bathtub. I was feeling sick. I was just asking Heavenly Father, what am I supposed to do? Like, my bishop, everybody wants me to work on this marriage, but he won't even come home. Like, what am I supposed to – I'm so – I'm 26 years old. Like, I'm, I want a family. I want all these dreams. And I can't just – I think I might be done. I think I might be sick of doing this. But the thought of like leaving him and the thought of abandoning him just it like crippled me and it was so hard to, for me to do that. And so I came across a scripture that basically changed my, gave me more strength than any other scripture has ever given me. It's Second Nephi um, 8, 24 and 25. And it says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And <laughs> if I could describe any use any words to describe the way that I felt at that time. It was, I felt trapped. I completely felt trapped in a situation that I had tried to gain control over. I had tried, I was doing my part. I was going to the temple. I was reading the scriptures. I was, you know, I, and then in, in the midst of all of this, too, the thing that was so hard for me is that um, when my doctor found out that I hadn't been on birth control he was like completely shocked that I had never been pregnant and he told me that I needed to if I wanted to he that he was afraid I had endometriosis and the yeah. only other time I had ever heard of that is my boss's wife had it and they weren't able to have kids they 
adopt, they were ended up adopting, but to me, that's what endometriosis meant. And so I had also been going through all of this. So I ended up having a surgery and they figured out that, yes, I did have that. And that was a funny story. I, my husband took me to the hospital to have that surgery and was supposed to wait there for me. And um, I woke up to him not being there and nobody being able to find him or get a hold of him. So, my, they find, luckily, my boss's wife worked at the hospital and uh, or my, boss, my boss's mom. And so she called my boss and my boss gave them my mom's number and my mom came and picked me up from the hospital. And so, yeah, so there was all this fertility stuff wrapped into it. I was, you know, heartbroken over watching all the, I was in a married BYU ward. There were pregnant people and babies everywhere all the time. And so that was hard. And I, but it was so great too, because the one thing, a couple things that I learned from being the Relief Society president and serving in that ward is that my, I had the power to choose how I was going to react to the situations and that I had the power to find the good in my, the good things in my life, no matter what was going on. And I had watched, you know, a lot of girls that were bitter over not being able to get pregnant, but they had like the best husbands in the world. And I was just like, do you even know what I would give to have a husband like that right now? You know, like I just, I always, I just promised myself then that I didn't care what was happening. I was always going to find the positive things because when I looked around, I was always able to find things that I was grateful for and that were, that, that I was being blessed even in the midst of all the chaos. Love that. Mm -hmm. So after that, did you decide that it probably was best for you guys to, to go your separate ways? Yes. I went the next day to my bishop and I said, Bishop, here's what I read. I'm done. I'm ready. Yeah. Heavenly Father, okay, I, like, I'm okay. I, he's saying that it's okay that I can leave. And that's what I really feel like I need to do. And I went and I filed divorce papers that week. And, um, yeah, and then a couple months later, it was, we, there was, you know, lots of ups and downs in that. So I filed, I, I filed for divorce in December, and I remember the first time that I, that I remember seeing Nick was in, um, was in January, like it was around my birthday, <laughs> and I was like, who is this cute boy at U.S. Bank that is so nice to me all the time? And he just had like this light around him. And I remember thinking when I saw him, I want to date somebody like him. And then it turned into, well, why don't I just date him? <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So go ahead. Tell me a little bit about that because oh. I think I would I would love to end this on <laughs> a happy note because I um I I truly admire you. I think yeah. that the the level of love and Christ-like compassion that you had for for Brian um, just from these little things and I I mean you've been pretty surface, right? You haven't really gone 
a lot into the deeper things. And I, that was something that I was concerned about because I don't want you to feel like you're outing him on a lot of bad things, or I don't want you to feel like you're having to dredge up things that you would rather keep (laughs) shoved. So I know how that goes. (laughs) But I do want to tell you that I admire you because I think that, that you gave it, you gave it a real, a real good try. And, um, Honestly, I think that's something that I need to point out. I think that a lot of times, I think in our minds, we think Heavenly Father is going to want us to do something a certain way, right? We look at it and we think Heavenly Father wants us to stay married. Heavenly Father wants us. We were sealed. And, um, you know, he says he's going to try. And so I think a lot of times we put it in our own mind. That, that this is what we're supposed to be doing because it's the Christ-like thing. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes we forget to, to ask Heavenly Father, right? Like, hey, is this okay? You know, what should I be doing right now? I've, I've had a lot of situations in my life where, where I haven't been honoring that part of myself and asking Heavenly Father for directions in different ways that things should go. And I ended up suffering a lot, I think, because of it. So I think that's something that's really important to point out in your story that that that's really when you got feeling better is because you started turning to him. You started to see his love for you also. And um, I think turning to him and realizing that sometimes, sometimes it's okay to be done. Sometimes it's okay to, that is the right answer. And so I love that, that you found that answer in your scriptures. Thank you. So, but Thank that you. is not where your story ends. And so let's, <laughs> let's talk about my little brother. <laughs> yes, let's do it. He, well, of course, I always feel like we have the coolest meeting story ever because I, like every girl on the planet, am the hugest fan of the store Target. And I spent a lot of time there. And I, it's, it was right behind my parents where, right where they lived and close. And when I was working um, for the, it actually ended up being a development company. Um, I did all of my boss's personal banking and I did all of my banking as well at U.S. Bank. And I was going to Target in the Target. So I was going there frequently. And it's funny, like all of this started happening right around like late September, October, which is right when Nick got transferred from Salt Lake to the Orem store. And I normally, I hate it when they get new bank tellers because I'm like, oh, now I have to tell my whole, you know, it's like my boss doesn't get charged for that. And I have to go through the whole thing again. I like it when I have my tellers that just know me and know what's going on. And so I was kind of annoyed because I was, they had replaced all of the tellers and I was like, oh, great. And I remember standing in line and I could see Nick was back in the back. He was working on, he was talking on the phone. It looked like he was trying to fix a printer. I didn't know. And for a minute, I was like, is he just faking it? So, cause there was a huge line and I was like, okay, come on. Like you should be out here helping. And then he looked out and he just smiled at me. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. I, it was like a light. I don't even know how to describe it. I was just like, 
oh my gosh, especially because I wasn't used to feeling like that because I've been married. I am still married at that point. And I was like, what in the world? Like, oh my gosh, he's so nice. He's how cute. And he literally, as soon as he saw me, he put the, he hung up the phone and he came out (laughs) and he helped me. (laughs) And so I was just like, Oh my gosh. So then I kind of just kept going into the bank and him and the other two guys that were there were so, and I had to go in and I was trying to do all my divorce stuff. So he knew I was in the process of being, getting to be single. And, um, yeah. And we would exchange like him and the guys from US Bank would send me fun games to play on Microsoft. And it was, it was just fun. I just knew that I, as soon as my divorce was done, I, I wanted to ask. I took my sister in, my mom in, my friends in. <laughs> but anyway, I was nervous and I, you know, I was at a place in my life where I really wanted to find a guy that, um, that was going to be there for me. Um, there was really something that just told me that Nick was I, I, it was just weird. He just, he just, I felt like he glowed to me. Like there was just this light around him. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to, um, at least be his friend. And when I, when I talked, when I finally ended up having a good conversation with him, he told me that he had moved back down to Orem to try because his best friend and his ex-girlfriend were there and they had just she was trying to go on a mission and he was just coming home from a mission and Nick really wanted to be around there and try to get back into the church because it was one of the times when he had kind of thought okay no I don't you know just we all have our times when we go back and forth and he was trying to get back in (laughs) so my codependent brain was like ooh somebody that I, I was like, you are wanting somebody to help you and no one is helping you. Cause he said his, the, 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 his other two friends were not being so great. So he was trying to, and I was like, Oh, well, I can help you. So I got him a set of scripture. He told me that he had thrown his scriptures away and I was appalled by it. And so I told him, I got him a set of scriptures and I just told him that just out of love and respect for me to please never throw those in the garbage and they are still on our shelf so he has kept his promise but I remember um as you know as things were ending with my ex-husband I was at the temple a lot and I do remember feeling like I need so many miracles happened within that short amount of time that I was um that I was that the divorce was going through it was uh, there was a couple of really scary things and a couple of hard uh, lots of um lots of traumatic things kind of went down in that in that sort of thing in that sort of that time frame and I remember um sitting in the temple and feeling really strongly that I I that I needed to push things forward quickly that there was a fat you know that there was another family that was, that was, that was waiting for me basically. And, um, and so things with Nick happened really, really fast and it was so weird. And in the temple, when I felt that, I thought, no way, I am just going to live in my condo by myself and have lots of dogs and I'm not ever going to get married again. And, um, so having Nick come into my life and having it be such a strong, 
I, just such a positive thing. And I felt, I also learned throughout this whole thing that um, there was a point in time where I think when you're going through a divorce or when you're going through hard things, especially when I was going through this addiction stuff, you really stop trusting in yourself and you start wondering, you start looking to everyone else to try to help you make decisions because you don't feel like you can do that yourself because you, I don't know, you don't feel like you're a part of reality. And I got to a place that was, you know, one of the things I was the most happy about is my relationship that I had with my Heavenly Father and with my Savior at the time that I was getting divorced. It, I was still the Relief Society president. I don't think that it was a coincidence that that hard, the hardest time came at one of my strongest points in my life. I know that Heavenly Father knew that I knew that he was, that he had given me permission to exit the relationship, not just for me, but I do feel like this was for Brian too. And I had always, you know, so I learned to trust. I learned to recognize that Heavenly Father can't, Heavenly Father, that your relationship with Heavenly Father is like make that, take care of that, respect it, and know that there's nobody else that he'd rather give advice or give an answer to about your life than you. And that you need to learn. And so at that point, I really trusted myself. And even though people, there were still people that wanted me to keep fighting for Brian, just to keep, to stay in there. And at times when I stayed there, my family and tons of other people wanted me to leave. And I always, I always went back to the way that I felt with my Heavenly Father and what he was telling me. And I, I, I knew how to hear him in those times. And I knew I was getting those those, I was getting those strong impressions and those strong experiences that, and not even just the strong ones, but just little bits and pieces of comfort and, per, you know, and peace where I knew that I was doing the right thing, even when everyone else may not have understood or didn't think I was doing the right thing. So I think it's important to trust, yeah, to trust in your relationship with, with Heavenly Father and to do what you feel. Nobody knows all the ins and outs, but he does, he does. And if we talk to him, he helps, he does. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with You're us welcome. today. I love yeah. it. It's been so fun to, to get to know. I always knew you were strong, but man, <laughs> um, and I, we're going to both cry now <laughs> because I'm so, I'm so <laughs> grateful to have you in, in, my life and in our family's life and you've you've filled a role as a sister that i really need and i'm so grateful to have you for my brother <laughs> because i think that that you guys are just so great together and yeah <laughs> and you did have a family that was waiting not only them I but me did. and my kids and we're so grateful to have you so you guys are the best. I love, 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 love you. So I just wanted to kind of ask at the end, um, there are a lot of people who are going to listen to this and they're going to be touched by different aspects of your story. They might not be going through a divorce. They might not have a husband who is addicted to drugs, but they might have just needed to hear those words that they can, they can trust their inspiration from Heavenly Father. Because like you said, no one knows them better than him. And I love that. But if there's somebody that really was inspired by your story, 
how can they reach out to you? Is there an email or social media? What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, you, you can give my email address. It's Tiffany Jarrett. 12 at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram as I think Tiff Jarrett. This was a huge part of my life that I never, ever, ever want to forget. Even though I do want to forget, it's like I do want to forget it, but I, I don't because it's the things that I learned in that marriage are what has, is anchoring me to the gospel today and what's anchoring my testimony and keeping me going today. So I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have that. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful to Brian and everything that for everything that he had to go through to teach me the lessons that I learned that are getting me through my life now. And I, I wish him and his family and every, all in all that aspect, I wish all of them the very best day. It was a rough, rough time for all of us. And that's, that's, that's okay. what life is. We all live and learn and grow. And, and that's the yes. important part. Okay. Thanks, Carly. Thank you so much. And, Thank you all for listening to my A Light in the Darkness podcast. I have been truly humbled by the amount of support that me and my guests have been given. And I know it's just because I have such amazing people like Tiffany on and sharing their stories because I am learning and growing because of them all. So I hope you guys all have a wonderful week and you're able to see the light in your own personal darkness. And we'll see you here next Wednesday. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son Carter for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 